Hi, Victor. Thank you for coming on, on this podcast series. And then Victor is the CEO or the co-founder of BitCurate. Very interesting data-driven insights to uh, crypto forecasting. And he's joining us today to talk about flash loans. So hi, Victor. Welcome to this podcast series. Hey. Hi, Lisa. Uh, thanks for inviting. Uh, love to be here and uh, share more insights about uh, the latest crypto analytics and DeFi movements uh, to, to the world. Awesome. Today, we're going to start with flash loans. And before we get started, let's do a quick who, what, when, where, why, and how. So who uses flash loans? What are flash loans? Why people use flash loans? Where can you find flash loans? When do you use flash loans? And how are flash loans even used? You want to go step by step or you want to go all at once? No, no. I mean, it should, be, it should go step by step, right? So that mm. we can get into the flow. Sure. So um, a brief introduction uh, about what flash loan is, right? Uh, flash loan was introduced like uh, this year. Uh, I think beginning of the year. And uh, it was a new innovative product that was launched uh, by Aave. So how, how does it work, right? Uh, basically, uh, the, 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 genis, the genesis and the, the uh, simple gist of uh, how flash loan is, right? Um, flash loan is essentially a loan that you can uh, secure through a smart contract uh, from the V5 protocol's liquidity pool. For instance, um, if Aave uh, have a liquidity pool of let's say one million uh, US dollar tether USDT, and then you wanted to uh, take a flash loan uh, up to one million, right, you can do that. The only condition is that you will need to return that loan within one single uh, blockchain, uh, one single transaction. Uh, we call it as atomic swap. That you need to do it within one single block. Um, so you go to code, you go to write that uh, uh, the scripts and the bot to actually uh, get the loan and return the loan within one single block. That is the simple description of what the flash loan is. So if that's the case, then how, how is it that, let's say we do a flash loan, you and me, and I give you 10 bucks, and once I give you 10 bucks, I'm expected to get 10 bucks back, correct? That's exactly how flash loan works. So in yeah. that process, who is making money and where does the money go to? So I give you 10 bucks, you give me 10 bucks back. That if you have the 10 bucks in the first place, why are you borrowing it from me? And if the, if the whole transaction is we giving each other 10 bucks, then what's the point of it? Because you still have to pay gas fees for these transactions, right? Yep. Uh, let me explain a bit further. So um, essentially, right, uh, so imagine that you are Aave and then you have a million uh, worth of USDT or any other stable coins in your, in your liquidity pool. So that I, as actually a, a trader or an investor, I need to have a liquidity of a million uh, US dollar tether from uh, someone. So I go to you and I'm actually writing a, a script on a smart contract and I will be borrowing that $1 million for me. So during this process, right, of course, I need to pay gas fees, as you're mentioning. And of course, I need to pay a transactional fees. Uh, I think from Aave, it's like 0.3% for 0.3 or 0.03. I've forgotten the exact amount. But uh, if I were to borrow from you, when I return it, I'll need to include uh, the specific uh, additional percentage as well. Uh, but of course, now it's, um, there are more players in the market for flash loan. But in any way, uh, when I borrow the money from you, right, I, in flash loan, I am not required to provide any collateral. Just want to make it clear. For flash loan, I am not required to provide any collateral. I, as long as you have enough liquidity, I, will need, I can borrow it. But in, in, that, uh, in, in, that, in that process, I will need to return that money to you within the same block. If I'm unable to do that, to return the same amount uh, plus the fees that I'm supposed to return, 
then the whole transaction will be reverted back to its original state, which is I never actually started the loan in the first place. So that is mm. how Dashlane uh, works. So I mean, what's the value, right? Mm. Um, people uh, Generally, people use it for currently for uh, two, two to three purposes, right? Uh, they're actually using it to do arbitrage trading so that you can actually do trading uh, without having your own capital. That is uh, very powerful. And the second one is actually to uh, when you're taking a loan, a leveraged loan on like uh, different platforms like MakerDAO or Compound, right? Sometimes you know that you want to swap different assets. So instead of you actually have to find uh, uh, some sort of collateral to, to, to replace the asset, you can use Flashloan to do that. And then you can just swap it uh, with using Flashloan. So there are a couple of uh, uh, scenarios whereby traders and investors can use this mechanism, uh, this tool called Flashloan to help them to fulfill certain uh, uh, requirements that they have. So we go back to the point of saying that you said, I don't have collaterals, but I want to swap from, let's say, DAI to USDT and I can use Flashloan with that. In that yep. case, Am I not just using DAI as my collaterals then? Because I don't have collaterals uh, to put up to be borrowing USDT, but I can swap DAI for USDT. That makes DAI a collateral in this flash loan swap. Yeah, I mean, that is based on one-to-one, -one, right? Sometimes people actually have leverage as well, and then sometimes mm. they have an over position on a different chain. So mm. like I say, right, make, for example, I just give you an example of MakerDAO, right? So when you're actually putting money in the MakerDAO, and then you, you, you mint a table coin, and then you want to borrow, right? And then during the, for example, during March when the whole uh, thing crashed, you are re you are literally required to find enough uh, e uh, liquidity, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, liquidity right, to actually put it back to your, your, your original state. So in order not to be liquidated. So mm. having a uh, flash loan will give you an option that you can actually fulfill back the state without being liquidated, right? So that is actually a tool. That's why I say flash loan is a tool, right? It's a product. Mm. Okay. And poor... For people using it, like you mentioned, it's only you know, arbitrage traders and these kind of leverage traders or derivatives traders. What yeah. about retail people? How does, is there any value add to these retail people? Um, well, I guess that uh, DeFi and Flashstone is not really a, a very low barrier of entry for a lot That's of uh, normal uh, traders, right? I mean, put it this way, we, we know it ourselves, right? Uh, DeFi and the whole movements of like you know, uh, different kind of lending, borrowing, different kind of uh, like collateralized lending and stuff. All of these are new. Mm. If you were to ask even a traditional uh, finance person who actually have exposure to Bitcoin, they might not even understand or actually you know aware of how it works. Like for example, flash loan. Right? So the, all these are actually created as a new innovative digital product that mm. could only exist on a, a smart contract. So I think that is mm. where the power is. So that's, that's actually a very interesting question because can Flash Loan exist on non-blockchain platforms? So for example, can, we ex can it exist on, let's say, Hashgraph? Because they're also distributed ledger technologies, but not blockchain itself. Or can it be executed on any digital platform? So centralized ledgers? Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, we're not using the distributed aspect of ledgers. We're just using the electronic digital aspects with enough liquidity so that you can do your swaps and you can do all these transactions. Yep. Oh, I agree. Uh, I think anything, I mean, it's, I mean, we have to go down in depth, right, to look at the details of like uh, the, the, the mechanics or, or the, the, the foundation of the protocol itself, whether they support it. For example, Bitcoin is hard because, um, you know, to execute a smart contract on Bitcoin network is actually, I, I'm not sure whether it's doable, but uh, it could be done on an L2 chain like Lightning mm. Network perhaps, but uh, on the core network itself, right, I'm not sure. I mean, the reason why it, is happening on Ethereum is because Ethereum have a smart contract layer to it, right? Which is the Ethereum complete, uh, Ethereum mm. virtual machine. 
Um, but on the traditional side, I'm not even talking about digital platform. Let's say, for example, if you think about from the bank perspective, from the traditional finance perspective, mm-hmm. right? I think that is actually non-doable because for there is always a counterparty risk to right. this this part. And for crypto, right? Uh, the counterparty risk is actually slightly reduced because you actually hold your own key and your own wallet. That's the difference. Hmm. So I've been trying to match this with the real world example. And in the real world, you can technically do this because at the end of the day, you just, like you mentioned, once you have the counterparty available, then you can, you, that's why brokers exist, right? To be matching all these different people. So if your trade is big enough, you find enough counterparties to be undertaking your risk, you can do that. I, I would say that, you know, maybe the only difference in the crypto space or to do it in a digital blockchain way is that it's instant, it's atomic, and we basically normalize all these business transactions with code, with smart contract logics. So, I agree. So it's kind of like digital, uh, it's an upgrade to yeah. the tradition, which is why it's decentralized finance, uh, DeFi, right? Mm. And, and I guess that's where the entire value comes in. Now, in that case then, this seems to be quite risk-free because you're not putting up collaterals. It's atomic. Atomic means that once, if the, the entire the entire transaction is executed or not executed. So if, yep. you can, if you can pay back the loan at the end, the smart contract can see that. If you can pay back the loan, it'll be executed. If you can't pay back the loan, then it's not executed. So you, yep. it's risk-free. You don't have collateral, so you don't, you're not exactly losing anything. Now, yep. it can't be just all butterflies and rainbows, right? Like, where's the risk coming from? Or are there even risks involved? I mean, obviously, anything that comes with a risk, right? For example, the risk is actually more on the smart contract risk. Because uh, it's code, right? And a lot of things that actually are done by programmers. Uh, to give a uh, perspective, right? I'm actually personally myself. I'm actually learning to do uh, smart contract programming uh, on Solidity, right? To actually understand uh, from the, the code perspective, the code level perspective, right? To understand really, uh, you know, when you're calling a, a wallet address from from the smart contract itself, how 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 is that uh, impact on the network, or how is that impact on my own risk or my own wallet as well? So. Uh, there's always risk. Um, it's just about uh, smart contract risk is one of them. And second one, right, I think the risk is actually on the market. So one of the biggest uh, constraints right now on the DeFi or uh, Ethereum smart contract is actually the, the network speed and of course uh, the desk itself, right? So one of the other one is actually when you are executing a trade, right? Yeah, we are, thinking, we are saying that there's arbitrage trading, you can make like, say, for example, a thousand US dollar. That is based on assumption, right? Because you're reading that from smart contract. You're reading that from the code itself, right? But what if when you exit the code, right? Like when you execute the code, right? Somebody actually do the arbitrage before you. And then they are paying slightly more gas fees, right? You lose your gas fees. So that is actually a risk in terms of like the whole process itself. So there are a lot of all these small little risks that not much people are actually understanding how it works yet. Well, if the risk is only just losing your, your transaction fees, then that's, that's actually quite okay, right? I mean, what's, yeah, what's the, like, the, how much is the risk for these transaction fees? Like 50 USD, 100 USD, but your trade are like in, in hundred thousands or millions, then that's actually quite a measurable amount of risk to undertake. I think it's the same as uh, high-frequency trading, right? So imagine that you're running arbitrage board to trade between different uh, dis- disparity in terms of like uh, the basis point on like different uh, financial instruments out there in the mature market, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a couple of basis points for them is like, uh, it's actually uh-huh. hard to make because of this, right? You know, it's a little bit atomic as well because you're yeah. trading high-frequency on the, on the internet. Mm-hmm. So literally, sometimes when you lose that deal, right, you're talking about you're risking uh, the exposure of like a million just to make that, uh, you know, 0.1% of the trade, right? And then imagine the 0.1%, even though you have successful, but you'll be losing on the gas fees. So, mm. you know, example, right? You, 
that is a, a risk to be considered. That's true. I think the other risk can also be stackability because all these different DeFi applications are basically like Lego blocks. You're just stacking them onto to each other. So yep. when we talk about smart contracts again, how these these um, flash loans are being executed is that you say I'm going to borrow one, I'm going to borrow a hundred thousand dollars, and in this same contract, I'm going to use that hundred thousand dollars on these different leverage apps so that it can give me leverage exposure to compound to Aave to to um, I don't know whatever all the other things available, then get the returns and at the end of the contract return this hundred thousand dollars to whoever they borrowed it from. So that's the entire the entire process, right? But the thing is, now the risk increases because I'm not just relying on me borrowing from that person and returning to that person, on me just using that money or that tokens for some some specific project or protocol. It's now spread across like five to ten protocols so that I can get my maximum returns and yep. be earning this risk free risk freely. Like how? Yep. How, how? I, I guess right. I guess if you think about it, right, um, you know, DeFi has uh, mirroring what the financial uh, system is mm. uh, when it comes to you're building derivatives on top of derivatives on top of yeah. derivatives, right? That's, that's how it works, right? Um, right? That is what we interpret it. The only difference is that all of these are existing on a smart contract and it's borderless, right, as compared to like a traditional uh, financial system, mm. whereby it's actually blocked by countries and uh, the different currencies. So. Um, so that is actually uh, kind of like the way I can see it happens, right? Um, but of course, that being said, I think there are two uh, observations here. The first observation is that uh, we are assuming that there is not going to be a new innovation that is happening. Uh, to give an example, a flash loan happened like six months ago. It didn't really pick up until now where people are looking at DeFi. And until now, if you ask, you know, majority of the people in crypto, how many of them are actually aware of like the power of flash loan, right? I don't think actually a lot of people know. Right, that is number one. The second one is actually uh, on the innovation, like for example, credit delegation. That is actually a superb and a very simple concept, but it's actually a crazy idea that actually yeah. just introduced by Aave. That has never happened before, right? And mm. I believe that a lot of all these startups or a lot of people who are actually in crypto space, they are really good in creating stuff. Um, a lot of things that when you look at it, right, uh, all these products is going to be introduced in the market that we are not aware that it's going to happen and they're going to create a new spur and then they will drive the, the adoption of the market. There are more people who are going to use different kind of tools to do money and go, right? Composability between different uh, assets. Um, uh, the second part to answer the, what you were mentioning about just now is about the underlying asset. So um, there are actually some uh, online tools and online SDKs and APIs, right? That whereby you can actually consolidate different kind of uh, blockchain, different kind of smart contract to identify right, where the, the money actually is. Are they actually a leveraged position into a different protocol while the asset is actually hold by different? They uh, are startups, right, uh, actually uh, in the world. They are actually doing that now. They are actually consolidating different smart contracts and actually trying to understand uh, how the, the, the value is, where the money actually is. Yeah. And it's really out there. The mm -hmm. only thing is that uh, you know, somebody needs to incorporate it together and put into their trading strategy. Mm. So I guess we see that with, with year in finance. We see that with kind of like curve finance. We see that with the Y vaults. There are a lot of things coming out together and you know, trying to make this place, this entire place a little bit more efficient. At the same time, yep. it's very complicated. And the thing yep. is, to get, to get into the crypto space, get to in the DeFi space, is already a layer of complication. First, you have to understand finance. <laughs> then you have to understand technology. Then you have to understand yep. some basic economics to understand how things work. And yep. now we're going to have these like crazy, massively powerful, efficient products. Yep. And then it's like, poof, 
I'm lost. And <laughs> it's so complicated that people are just struggling to, to get used to it. The I idea mean, of, well, I mean, think about it, right? You're already an expert in this space and both of us are actually kind of like we are in the front line of what is happening. And imagine that we are still trying to learn every day what is happening in the market. Can you imagine what is happening to the rest of the people not in this space, right? So, but yeah. that is where the opportunity is, I guess. That's true. Like every day, I just feel dumber and dumber every day because you can just never keep up. That's the thing about crypto. It's 24-7, right? It's like yeah, yeah. today you wake up and then suddenly there's something. Like I think Uniswap or, or one of these protocols announced something while we were sleeping. So yeah. I don't know what happened. And, and then there's a bunch of new things happening right now. So when Asia is sleeping, US is awake. And then when US is sleeping, you know, Europe and Asia are awake and everyone's trying to do something. My head is just trying to figure out how to stay sane. Yeah. One thing. You talk about credit delegation and I think credit delegation is so, like it's so huge, it's so important, but I don't know why no one's really talking about it. With credit delegation, we're talking about three types of delegation. The first kind of delegation is, you know, the, the friends and family things because I have good credit. Like if you go to a bank and you have bad credit scores, you can't get your loans. But if yep. you can get like a friend or, friend or family to sponsor you kind of thing, you can delegate your credit because you don't need that credit. That's going to be very helpful for that person. And that, to me, in economics value, I think that works because then you, you're allocating and distributing economic value to people who need it. So I think that's good. Then you have the second type of credit delegation where you are looking at, you know, I have not really close friends and families, but people in general that I trust within my, my bigger circle, social circle, or my clients or, or someone that I have a social contract with, and then I can issue credit to them and they can be borrowing and then we can be doing business after. Yep. Kind of iffy, I think regulation needs to be in there, but you no, know, good to go. And then something that I learned was that there's this credit delegation where you kind of just put it into the, the pool. I think you have it on Yearn or you have it on, on Y-Curve or something like that. You just put it into the pool and people can, can kind of take your, your credit. So you delegate your credit to almost like random people so that they can be using their credit to be borrowing other stuff. And then, and then you know, executing your whatever trade after that. Like, isn't that dangerous and isn't that like super scary? <laughs> I think that is where the innovation is, right? If you think about it from the perspective, uh, there's always uh, perhaps right, um, uh, one of the layers that uh, to enable this right that nobody uh, talking about it yet is like, uh, you know, blockchain tracking, right? Uh, there are a lot of uh, companies out there globally uh, who are tracking on the blockchain and the addresses of uh, the specific wallet, right? That actually to track what is the, the, whether it's high risk or low risk. And that is just a start, right? That is just a credit score. Can you imagine that by using more machine learning, uh, integrating more data, right? For example, uh, the, the pattern of this usage, uh, the transactional uh, of this account, uh, and then adding more, right? Uh, what what uh, have you, how long have you been to this space? And then what kind of money uh, have you actually put into uh, the pool? Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say, for example, a, a, a blockchain company come up with certain uh, predictive, right? And, just to predict how is your personality, just like uh, when you are, you know, you are on the Alibaba platform or Alipay platform, right? They are able to identify what is your credit score based on your past history and historical pattern. They could ask you some certain questions, right? You are able to provide your score online on the blockchain, whereby it's immutable, right? Uh, that, that the number is going to be there. So that number is going to be public, of course, but uh, you will be holding your own private key, right? So nobody can interpret what is actually that uh, the address belongs to. But when you want to do the, do the credit delegation, you just need to provide your account. And then the credit delegation will look at an, uh, the information on that specific address and say that, hey, I think you're worthy and I'm going to give you the loan to, for you to do whatever it is, right? And as, as long as you pay back based on uh, atomic flash or flash loan or certain things, right? They're, they're able to get a value out of it. 
I think all these things is going to happen. It's just that uh, things are moving at a speed pace right now. But that doesn't make sense because I'm giving. I am a good. Like I'm a good person. I have good credit score. And now I'm delegating this credit to someone else that probably has a bad score. That's why they need credit delegation or they need to borrow my credit. And then they're borrowing money or they're borrowing, they're creating flash loans or atomic swaps based on that. Isn't it dangerous then? Because now we're not doing KYC on that person. We're doing KYC on me and then I delegate my KYC or I delegate my, my good credit score to someone else. I guess there will be certain rules, right? I mean, of course, I'm not looking at specific details here. I'm, mm. I think that there will be certain rules, right, that need to fulfill. For example, they need to do it within one swap, right? Otherwise, they will not get it back. So there's uh, mm. over-collateralization. And the second part is actually, I mean, I can imagine that it's similar to the ICO space, right? Imagine to that, but the lower the risk of a counterparty and non-custodial. Whereby that if the liquidity is in the pool, Right now, somebody want to take more risk in terms of not only for yield farming, that loan could be sent it out for some other people to do something else, right? Like for example, I want to start up a new NFT project that I really have the project. I'm going to, I, need, I just need 24 hours to fundraise this like a Kickstarter and I need something to kickstart it, right? And then I'll just get the liquidity from the people who are already holding it in the pool, right? So perhaps that it could be one of the use um, things like that, right? Down the road. Mm, that makes sense. What would be other, you know, can this exist outside of DeFi? So one thing that I've been trying to, to think about is that when we talk about economic value in these kind of DeFi systems and DeFi ecosystems, there's a difference between nominal value and real value. Like nominal value okay. is just the kind of value that's been created. Real value is something that can be accounted for and you put in your GDP. So what we're seeing in DeFi space is that there are a lot of experiments, good stuff, a lot of testings, a lot of test nets, a lot of trying it out, and people are willing to try and play with it. Some people earn money with it, good. Some are scammed, bad. But in general, it's still quite experimental. And I would say that flash loans and credit delegation, all these things like you mentioned, it only started six months ago. So things are quite experimental, very fun place to be right now. But mm. beyond DeFi, can this exist off-chain? Can this exist as a bridge between on-chain and off-chain? And can this exist in traditional finance? I, I think the, not even going down the fire, right? I think the mm. next step is actually working on the interoperate, interoperability. Um, you know, for example, right now, everything is just on Ethereum, right? And we're looking, we know that a lot of mainnets, uh, a lot of uh, traditional uh, older uh, mainnets, right? Such as uh, EOS, Tron, uh, Qtum, and Polkadot. And all of these are actually thinking about how we actually be part of this system right, of DeFi. So they are going to launch their own uh, crossover uh, interoperability between different uh, uh, blockchain first. I think that is the number one. And then mm. second one is that the consideration whether this will go into a, a, another second level uh, level. Um, for example, I know that there are certain protocols, right? They are thinking about uh, off-chain, like you say, right? Uh, L2 networks, right? Uh, for Bitcoin, there's Lightning, right? For Ethereum, there's a uh, different kind of change that is uh, in experimentation. A lot of people are thinking about that as well. But so many things that is happening in the technical space, right? Uh, in, in to make to scale this, to scale this operation. Like for example, I right, could uh, another gap that I noticed, right? That you know, people who are holding Bitcoin or people who are really, really into the Bitcoin uh, movement per se, right? Become yeah. maximalist, right? They they actually not participating in the whole DeFi yet because yeah. there's not much of an option. It's very simple. There's a bottleneck. What, yeah. what is the available for you to wrap your BTC into Ethereum? There's only like three. Yeah. Ren BTC, WBDC, and uh, uh, another one, I forgot. P- PBDC. 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 Yeah. yeah, there's only three. And you know, 
think about it, right? How they, they the Bitcoin maximalists itself, the big people holding Bitcoin, you'll be wondering whether they can trust this network because there's an offline custodian to it, there's mm. a no issue and everything. But imagine that, how big is that? Because Bitcoin is one of the biggest uh, digital asset right now, right? Could, could yeah. we even get like 10% of them to actually adopt to uh, crypto, right? I know it's just started, but a lot of gaps, a lot of things to be solved, right? And DeFi has just started. That's number one. Then second one that you're mentioning, whether you can go to uh, you know traditional finance. I think we, we shouldn't, I think we shouldn't uh, mix them both. We, uh, I'll use the analogy, right? Uh, until today, right, there are still people reading newspaper and magazine. It's a bad business to be, but they are, right? They yeah. are still people who are reading newspaper. It's just that it's not a fast-growing business. Mm. So if you ask me, the traditional finance will have be the same as well. There will be people from a different needs and different perspective. They will still need to have the traditional finance to do their stuff. It's just that there will be an emergence of a new category for the next decade, two decades, right? People will be thinking that, hey, I would rather hold Bitcoin, I would rather do investment on my DeFi than actually putting my money into the traditional finance. I think mm. that is the one that is going to grow the market. Can it be used outside of DeFi though? So within crypto, but outside of DeFi. So I don't know, NFTs, um, games, video games, electricity market, trading, trading, not, not money trading, not financial trading, but like other types of trading. Are you referring to uh, flash loan per se or Correct. are you thinking about this? Like flash loans. I think they can, you can because it's on a smart contract. I mean, just to give you an example, right? I also play games as well, right? So, mm. you know, this is one big bottleneck. Uh, you, when you play some online multi, multi, you know, MMORPG that you're playing with people, there are certain stuff you want to trade, right? Uh, of course, there's online in-game currency, but, you know, generally uh, uh, on the network itself, right? A lot of people are just trading with real money using PayPal, using different kind of payment methods, right? Um, imagine that. And then, of course, in the crypto world, there's NFT as well, right? So, uh, things will actually progress from there. And then when it happens, right, I'm sure the digital generation will be like, hey, could I, you know, the item that you are actually trying to send to me, could I have a custody uh, on smart contract? And then I'll just take a flash loan to repay you and then I'll just resell it to somebody else within one atomic swap and then mm. I make money. Isn't that arbitrage, arbitrage trading, right? That is the same thing, except that it's on a different, mm. uh, different instrument. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Is that, but that's, that's not the culture for gamers, right? Like for gamers, you just kind of play and collect. I don't, I don't game. So I feel like when you game, you just kind of want to collect all these medals and I don't, armor and stuff. And you don't really want to sell them. Yeah, there are actually two, there are always uh, economics behind the, the game mm. market. It's always there. You know that, for example, I play a mobile game called uh, Clash of Clans. Uh, that was a couple of years back. Um, I remember that a lot of people are actually selling the account. I mean, of course, it's against the, the game publisher, right? They cannot be selling the account, but it happens. A lot of people are selling game accounts, right? After they reach to a certain level, they wanted to sell off uh, just to recuperate their own cost of uh, spending time and money to the game. And there are some people who are lazy to, to actually start from uh, zero. They'll just pay somebody to buy the account and then they'll continue to play. Huh. A lot of games have that. Then could that also work for all these, you know, credit delegation because with credit delegation you're not exactly doing KYC on the individual you're just doing KYC on the wallet so I can accrue a lot of like good credit score then I sell my address to someone else and they can be just using that, that. So it's almost like a video game in real life yeah uh, if you ask me that is possible I mean those are the ones that we're talking about right I mean uh, that is how your credit score is Maybe yeah. you actually have a certain items on certain games or certain virtual items, right? It's worth something. For example, CryptoKitties, right? There's mm. a market value to it. The nominal or market value depending on the, the terminology. But the point is in CryptoKitties, I remember there's people actually bought, bought some uh, 
uh, one version of uh, the specific uh, kitty that is worth for like hundred thousand US dollar during then, mm. right? I mean, it's worth hundred thousand. Somebody is willing to pay for it. And imagine that if this were to pick up, uh, that is actually endorsed by real people in the in the in the real world, yeah. or even on the online space, right? Some people is going to pay for it. Um, as long as demand for it, right? I mean, it's the same as any other cryptocurrency. If there's a demand for it, I'm sure that there are people going to make money out of it. And that mm. is where the digital finance and decentralized finance would come into the use. Mm. Oh, thank you very much. I think if I can summarize what flash loans are, is that you set an input, you set an output. So the input will be, I'm going to borrow 100,000 die. The output is, I'm going to borrow 100,000 die. And in the middle, I will allocate this 100,000 die to like three other protocols. And if I get X percent returns, then the, the smart contract will see if that's possible. If that is possible, then it will be executed and you'll get whatever you tell the smart contract to do. If it's not yep. possible, the smart contract wouldn't execute, but you still have to pay gas fees. So yep. in that way, it's risk-free. Yeah, you just risk gas fees. That's it. Yep, yep. So which is why um, Flashstone is a very powerful tool. Yeah that not much people are actually talking about it yet. Okay, what must um, you know before you can start executing a flash loan? Like, must you be a developer? Must you be a programmer? Um, depending, on, depending on the use case, right? Uh, I will not go down very much into in-depth uh, because I really spend a lot of my time and money to actually learn this. But uh, I'll give a very high level of uh, what uh, the use case, right? And how to execute on it. I mean, there are certain tools out there. There are people actually created, right? You can actually stack different stuff uh, inclusive of a flash loan module. Like for example, I think another one called, I've forgotten the name. But, um, there's one tool out there. Right? You can Google it for it, right? It's like a money Lego block. You can actually uh, assemble based on different protocols. Somebody did that, right? But um, that is not enough. Uh, why do I say that, right? To get the flash loan itself is okay. But for mm. what purpose? If you were to get the flash loan, let's say, for example, to uh, cover your, your position into that loan, right? Uh, that one you can do anytime. That mm. one is easy, right? Yeah. But if you were to use flash loan for trading, trading is about first come, first serve basis. The one that able to execute this uh, before everyone else, uh, they call it as front running, right? Um, mm. If you can do that before somebody else, you make the money. The yeah. one that comes after that, we will lose money. Yeah. Um, or they were not unable to make the money, right? So everyone is going to compete on the same piece of pie. So that's why if you ask me, nobody is going to talk about it because mm. why am I going to tell my secret to other people? How do I make money, right? So mm. that is an example. But there will be more use case coming up soon. I, I'm mm. sure of it, right? Because why um, every other protocol, uh, the good ones, right? We'll be thinking about how do they introduce a good product to encourage more people to create value in that system, right? Mm. Which is why the credit relation is, that's why the flash loan is. Um, the flash loan that we're talking about today is actually the flash loan 1.0. Yeah. I already know that there's somebody doing flash loan 2.0 that actually is a limitless uh, flash loan. Um, somebody actually announced it on Reddit and I did a video on it. I, I, we, we actually watched that video. You can literally borrow unlimited amount of money in the flash loan. That mm. is how crazy it is. In the financial world, that could not happen. Yeah. But on the crypto world, that is... <laughs> Everything goes. To be done. Because it's everything on atomic swap. It, either yeah. it happens or it don't happen, right? That's so true. It, it theoretically could be done. But mm. whether people will adopt to it or not is a yeah. different thing, right? It's mm. very interesting. Well, I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm very excited to wake up every day right, to look at the possibilities <laughs> of what are the new uh, ideas, what are the new innovation that people introduce on the, on the DeFi space and stuff. Like we know that we have rebase, we have flash loan, yeah. then we have like AMM with bonded curve. Then there's one launch today, it's called uh, Dodo. You know, uh, yeah, I just I was just reading uh, in the Twitter before this meeting, right? They are talking about you know progressive MM, I think PMM, another new model for uh, you know the equation of like constant, right? So 
so many things is happening. I'm kind of very excited, but also very nervous. You know, every day I'm going to miss out certain goals. Totally get that. Okay, so before we end, just one last question. If you can give one advice to all these eco economic designers or token designers, what advice would you give? Um, I think the first thing is that um, depending on the depending on this person, my, my advice is this: uh, the first thing is to learn uh, the code because a lot of people talk about it. Uh, I mean, in a, in a sense, right, for example, yourself talk about it as well. I mean, you are one of the senior ones, but a lot of people who are actually in finance, right, they are not really understand how it works. In, in, in the code world, right, there's a lot of things that could be imagined and could be done, uh, could be executed, but you need to understand the constraint of the code itself, right? So that is why I wanted to venture into that so that I know what is actually could be possible and what is not possible. So um, that itself is actually the first fundamental layer. The second, of course, as you mentioned, right, somebody who actually try to understand this need to understand like, um, you know, um, the economics, uh, the tokenomics of, uh, uh, of the the, the, the basis of it, right? The mechanism and um, game theory, for example. But, you know, the fundamental layers still need to be on the code. So if you are able to understand that, uh, you're already way better than a lot of people uh, in terms of like, understanding DeFi. Thank you very much, Victor. Is there anything else you no want problem. to add? Uh, no, not really. Uh, so that uh, I would just say that I'm glad to be a part of, um, you know, the DeFi movement and uh, share more of my insights and ideas, right? I mean, that is the reason why I'm here, not just because of to make money, right? Uh, I think the most important thing is to be part of something uh, meaningful and grow and try to make some money out of it, right? But mm. uh, yeah, trying to be something progressive and innovative is actually much more important to us, uh, for us, right? Especially in this uh, early adopter for decentralized finance or DeFi. Mm. Thank you very much, Victor. Thank you for joining Thank you. us. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.